our world is, I think, obsessed with achievement. I mean, just look all around you. Our world defines who we are by what we do, not who we are. It's all about our accomplishments. What have you done for me lately? Like, this is the way our world operates. It's all about busyness over being. It's all about work over worship. It's about production over peace. It's about winning over well-being. It's about results over relationship. This is what our world is like if we really stop and take inventory of the messages that we're inundated by. And I think what can happen to us as believers is we can, I don't know, like think that spiritual success somehow is defined the way that our world defines success. Because our world says, you want success? You need to just gain knowledge. So whenever I was growing up, I was always told, like in high school, um, you want to get good grades so you can graduate and go to college so that you can go get a job and make money. Like, ever heard that message? Anyone? Ever? And I look back on that and I think, that's a terrible message. That's not a good message. There is beauty in learning. Like, and not everyone has to go to college. Like, college in the end, oh, I know we have college students. I'm glad you're here. Like, yeah, go crew. No, hey, I'm also an alumnus. I get it. But my point is, learning, there is beauty and there is virtue in learning in and of itself and not just so you can get a job. Like, yes, the job is important, but there, there is something about the discipline, about learning and what it does to your heart. And there's, there's so much more than just making money. And yet our world just defines success with your income and your production and what your resume looks like. And so we're told you want to just gain knowledge, and we're told work hard, make sure that you network really well, become an expert in your field, and then you will succeed, and you will win, and you will produce. That's exhausting. And when we're thinking about spiritual life, the inner life, and if we bring this mindset of business success and we think that that's how it works on produce, win, succeed spiritually, you are going to fall on your face. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't translate into the spiritual realm And the reason is that our meaning is not found in a quest for self. Our meaning, rather, is found in the calling to know God. It is not in a quest for self-actualization, for self-realization. That is not the goal of being a human being. The goal, the quest is to know God to enjoy our God, to worship our God for his infinite, majestic perfections. And so this whole summer long, this preaching series, 
working through our statement of faith, the series called The Core, looking at our core beliefs that define who we are and then shape who we are. The core of who we are is we are worshipers. We are always worshiping, and we're made to worship God. Today, we're looking at sanctification. That sounds like a big word. It's in the Bible. It's not as scary as you think, but it is profound, and it will change how you, by God's grace, how you think and how you speak and down to your heart's desires and what you do. So let me just read to you from our statement of faith what we as a church believe about sanctification. It should be on the screen. We believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. It is a progressive work that is begun in regeneration and is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, who is the sealer and comforter in the continual use of spiritual disciplines, including reading and hearing the Word of God, self-examination, and prayer. So that is what we believe as a church about what sanctification is. Now, the word sanctification, what it means is to make holy. Now, if we had the word holification, then I guess we could use that. But that's not a word, so we're not going to use that. We'll stick with sanctification because to sanctify means to make holy. Being a saint means that you are holy. And so what the word, what it means is it's this process of becoming more holy, of sharing in the holiness of God because God is holy. He gives us his spirit who is the Holy Spirit, and he is at work in conforming our character to take on and to reflect the character of God. And so sanctification is the process of becoming holy and reflecting the image of Jesus, of being more like Christ, of sharing in his character as image bearers reflecting the image of God. So that's what the word means. Now we need to unpack that and apply it. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be primarily in verses 12 through 18 here this morning. But if you haven't read Philippians 2 recently, I want to just remind you that the first 11 verses that we're not going to unpack today, but Philippians 2, 1 through 11 is absolutely stunning describes the majesty and the glory of Jesus. It describes who emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, humble, obeying, and even dying on the cross. And so that's what it's describing. It's describing who Jesus is and his work on the cross. I want to read to you just briefly the end of that section. So Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. And then we'll be in... Verse 12. So Philippians 2 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So you have Jesus who in verse 8 says that he's obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus who died for us and so therefore he's highly exalted. And every knee will bow. Every single human being will bow and will confess that Jesus is Lord. That agnostic, that atheist, that Darwinist that dies in their sin and says there is no God, that atheist will bow the knee, will bow down before King Jesus, and he will confess Jesus is Lord. Now, in his case, he'll do it before being cast into the lake of fire, which is heart-wrenching. But every single human being will confess that Jesus is king, that he is Lord. You can do it now, willingly, gladly, joyfully saying, yes, Jesus, I love you. Yes, you are Lord, and that's called being saved. Or you can deny that and confess it later against your will, but everyone will confess that he is Lord. And it says, why to the glory of God the Father, every tongue will confess this. And so what you're seeing here is in light of this absolute stunning glory of Jesus who came and died for us and allows us to recognize, to see his beauty. So everything you can see in verse 12, verse 12 begins with what word? With the word, therefore. So whenever you have the word, therefore, you want to see what it's there for. Like, it matters. It's it's, it's building on what was preceding. So what we're going to look at in verse 12 and following today, describing this, therefore, what are we to do? It's all flowing from who Jesus is, the king of glory, what he has done, died on the cross, what he offers, which is redemption and light of the gospel. Now we're to go do something. And what are we to do in verse 12? Therefore, in light of who Jesus is, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're told to obey. I want to just pray for a moment because there is a sense of weightiness every single time that I stand before the redeemed people of God who are wanting to hear from the good shepherd. Because if you know Jesus and you belong to his flock, then your heart craves to hear the voice of Jesus because he is your shepherd. And his sheep hear his voice, and they love him, and they follow him. And when you have an under-shepherd like myself, who is a fellow flawed human, just like you are, to have the awesome responsibility to then say, here's what God's word says, here's what King Jesus says. Every week there's a sense of weight to this, but today it feels slightly heavier because of the nature of what we're talking about on being sanctified and that we're all on this journey. We're all on this process together and I am with it right along with you and I am a fellow struggler on this journey 
just like you are. Desperate for the mercy of God. Let's pray. God in heaven, as we read these words, that Jesus, you humbled yourself, you died on the cross to rescue us. And, and you've given us new hearts through your spirits that confess, Jesus, that you are Lord and you are glorious and that you are better. And in light of what you have done, you call us to obey. You call us to work out this salvation. And we confess here together that we cannot make ourselves holy. We can't change our hearts. God, we need you. We're just so desperate for you, your presence, your spirit, your help, your wisdom. Sanctify us. Make us holy. That your glory would be displayed through these these flawed people that you love. And as we were earlier in today's gathering, that you are sanctify us and you are faithful and you will do it. And so we're trusting you today. So we ask that you would work in our hearts and that we would be stirred and resolved to continue in this journey called sanctification for your glory. Jesus, we pray in your name. Verse 12 is remarkable because what we see here it says, therefore, we're called beloved, we're told to obey because of Christ's victory over the grave, this new nature that the Spirit gives us. He tells us to now go and obey, and he says to work out this salvation. Now, the Bible describes salvation holistically, but there are three different phases or Parts, or think of it as a progression in being saved. So the first part is there's a beginning to your salvation. There's that point where your, your life of faith began. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. Our associate pastor Colton preached about justification. And in that sermon, we, we heard how we're justified by our faith alone in Jesus. And we're justified by the grace alone of God, by and it's in Christ alone for his glory alone. And so we are justified. And so that means to be declared righteous. It's to be declared just as if you had not sinned. And so your salvation begins with this one-time act, a legal declaration from the judge that says you are justified. And along with that, your salvation begins with regeneration. I preached on that two weeks ago. And so regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit who breathes his life and gives you new life. It's literally a spiritual resurrection where you're no longer dead in your sins. You're alive 
in Christ. And so you're regenerated. That's also a one-time act. So your salvation begins with justification and regeneration. Now, it will end one day with glorification. I'll, I'll cover that in three weeks when we finish the series. When we're going to be in heaven, resurrected, our salvation completed, when we're glorified. So it begins with justification, regeneration. It will end with glorification. In between, there's this thing called the life of faith. And what we're living right now is being saved, and it's called sanctification. This ongoing process of being made more like Christ. So it begins with one-time acts, and it'll end with eternity with Christ. But here in this life, we live the life of faith, which is not. So here's the important distinction. Sanctification is not a one-time act. It is a process, an ongoing one. It's a journey, and it's messy. But it's beautiful. So in Philippians 2.12, when it says, work out your salvation, it's not talking about working out your justification, your regeneration. God already did that. What you're working out is your sanctification. So think of it this way. Your position with Christ right now is you are declared already holy. So positionally, you are a holy one of God. You are a saint before God. That is your position because of his Holy Spirit that's in you. But you're, but practically, you're not holy. And if you think you are, ask those who live with you. They'll tell you. You're not. And if you say, well, I am in position with Christ, well, yes, you are. But practically, your, your daily practice is not holy. We're not there yet. We don't all have our stuff together. We're not glorified yet. So we're living in this now, but not yet. Now we're saved. Now we're declared holy, but we're not yet in heaven glorified. And so what's happening here is we're talking about this ongoing process, this journey of being sanctified, of working it out and learning to obey. So we're told in verse 12 to work out our sanctification, it says, with fear and trembling a sense of humility, and recognizing the seriousness of our obedience, how sin destroys, and sin enslaves us and draws us away from God and away from real joy. So this morning, do you want real joy? Do you want a clear conscience? Do you want a restored soul before God? Peace with God and with yourself. If you want that, then you need to grow in your sanctification because holiness leads to happiness. If you think that you're going to live a happy life where you are forgetting about holiness, you're going to live a very empty life 
filled with regret and pain and all kinds of foolish decisions. It is holiness that leads to happiness because who is holy? God alone is holy. So the pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of God himself through his spirit that then produces in us the fruits of what it looks like to be holy. And so to live a life that's truly happy only is possible in Christ, and that is a pursuit of his holiness. So this is not optional. I don't know why. I don't, I don't get it, but it seems like in the greater, I don't know, American just national church culture, it's that we've forgotten about holiness, and we don't even take it seriously. We don't even care, and if someone talks about growing into holiness, you think, that's a weirdo. Like, who talks like that? Who talks about, man, I want to grow in my holiness? You're like, where are you from? Like, dude, you calm down. You're weird. Like, it just, it sounds strange to us, but should it? No. It should be normal. This is not even optional. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and he's producing who he is, which is holy. So this ought to be normal for a believer, is to yearn for holiness and to yearn for integrity, for what's right and good and clean. We should desire it because of who lives in us. Let me give you some traits as we look at Ephesians, not Ephesians, Philippians 2. Four specific traits of sanctification. Number one, sanctification is supernatural. Let's just say it up front. This is supernatural. It is a miracle. It is not natural. It is not in our own power or our own strength or our own abilities. Sanctification, number one, is supernatural. We just read it. For it is God who works in you. Did you catch that in verse 12? It is God who works in you. It is the Spirit of God who is at work in empowering you to work out that salvation. So we're told to work it out, but we're told it is God who's working in you. There's obviously a mystery here because both are presented side by side in the very same verse. This is a supernatural reality. You can't make yourself holy. Like, you can't change your spiritual nature any more than you can change your physical nature. Like, you can't will yourself to breathe underwater without some kind of apparatus. You can't make yourself fly. I don't care how much you practice. You can't unless you have some kind of apparatus, something extra added to you. In your own power, in your own strength, you have a physical reality, your nature, and that is true of us spiritually. We can't change our spiritual nature. We can't make ourselves want to love God. We can't make ourselves want to obey. Parents, you know this with your kids, right? That you can't make them want to obey. You can make them obey, but you can't change their hearts. That's the work of God. That is supernatural. It is only the Spirit of God who changes hearts, who gives us 
new desires and new hearts, which is why our statement of faith we heard earlier, sanctification is a progressive work, so it's progressive, it's a process that is begun in regeneration. So it begins with this newness that spirit brings, but then it is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It is Spirit of God through his power and his presence in us that carries on this sanctifying work, who's literally carrying on this miracle that he does in making a sinner want to obey, making a sinner hate his sin and love what's right. Like, that is not natural. It's supernatural. To make us love what God loves and hate what God hates. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's read verse 13. For it is, just read that, but it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is the Spirit of God who changes our will so that we have a want to work for his pleasure. This is about union with Christ, and there's so much mystery here, and I don't even have time to even begin to try to explain it to you, but but I'll just tell you this, your human spirit and the Holy Spirit interwoven, united, this, this mysterious union that you can't see in a CAT scan, can't see it in an autopsy, you can't, it's not physical, it's spiritual, but it's real. We are not just flesh and bone. We have a spirit. We have a soul. Which is why we cannot create life. Our secular scientists want to just create life, but we cannot create a soul. We can't do it. Only God has a breath of life. And so what, what you see is this incredible mystery of Christ literally in us. And he is the one that empowers us in this supernatural work called sanctification. Number two, sanctification is successful. So number one, it is supernatural. But two, it will be successful. It will not fail. Verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Um, Is that accurate? He wrote this 2,000 years ago. It's like he read the news today. In the middle of this twisted and crooked generation. That is what we live in. This, our world is so upside down and so twisted and we're called as asleep without blemish in the middle of this dark generation. It says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. He has a purpose for us to shine as lights in the middle of this dark and twisted and crooked and just out of control culture that we live in. 
So it tells us to stop complaining, stop the grumbling. He's at work in us, makes us less rebellious. Why? So that we would be blameless. So that we would shine as lights. See, God's purpose has always been to bring many sons to glory. This is God's design. He's chosen the people and adopted his sons and his daughters to be his holy people who will worship him together, who will enjoy him together, to be transformed by his spirit together so that we will then display his infinite perfections to the creation, to shine as lights in the world. This is why we exist. As we know our God, he transforms us to then reflect him. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that we have been literally predestined to share in God's holiness. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Like literally your destiny is to be holy. This is where God is moving history. That's its appointed end when Christ returns and ends this world and and he recreates this world. And and then we're going to be resurrected and we will be holy, enjoying him forever. Like this is where this whole thing is going. We're appointed to share in his holiness. And I get it. I know that sometimes like you hear these like lofty messages and then you go home to your daily life and you look in the mirror and you think, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. Like, I, I get it what you're saying about like in heaven, but man, I'm a wreck. Maybe you think I'm just such a mess and I just can't get it together. Ephesians 2.10 describes what you are. You know what you are? It says you're God's handiwork. You are literally a masterpiece. And, and the master painter is, is, is painting with every stroke and every movement of the brush, with every season of your life, even when it can seem like God doesn't know what he's doing, you can rest assured that what he is creating through your life is something absolutely beautiful. He's telling a story. But the story that he is telling is one, it's like this epic adventure. And there are some fierce enemies I mean, I'm talking like, I mean, y'all know me. I love Lord of the Rings. I'm talking like thousands of bloodthirsty orcs type enemies that we face in the spiritual realm every single day. And we think, we foolishly think that it's just us, but there is a real battle that is unseen, that is being waged in the healthy realms, and it's battling for our souls. And God is telling a story, this amazing, epic adventure. And if you think it's going to be easy, you're 
crazy. It's not. But it is going to be successful. Because he who has promised is faithful and he will do it. He will sanctify his people. And so in those moments when you're, when you're despairing or you're frustrated with your lack of growth or your struggles, remember that God is more committed to your sanctification than even you are committed to it. And so because of his commitment to it, he's going to do whatever it takes, bring whatever circumstances need to come into your life so that he can then shape you into who he wants you to be. So you know what this does for us? This gives us confidence that we can't fail. So what do we do? We keep going. We keep hoping in our God. We keep encouraging each other with confidence. We don't grow weary in doing good because we know at the right time we're going to have a mighty harvest. So we don't give up. We keep going and encouraging one another because we know that God won't fail. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. So we can keep going. We can. So understand that, yes, it is supernatural. And number two, it will be successful. Number three, sanctification is also shared We share it with God. Verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Did you catch these words? Like, just listen to the words. So we've already read that it's him working in us. But then he tells us to... Hold fast. And then he talks about running and laboring. Do those sound like those are easy to do? Holding fast, labor, toil, running. Like these are action words and they're hard. Are these passive? No, these are active words. Words that we're called to go do something, to work hard for it, to go grab it, to go run and chase after it. Like this is what we're told to do in the Bible. Go work for it. Work out your salvation and go labor for it. Now, just so that we're clear, because of our justification, we are free from the penalty of sin. So we're not under the penalty of sin. We're free from that. And because of our regeneration, we are free from the power of sin. Sin has no power over us. The enemy has no hold or claim over us. The the power of sin is broken because of our regeneration. And yet, the presence of sin remains. Now, one day we will be free of the presence of sin of sin when we are glorified. But on this side of heaven, we have to keep working, holding, chasing, running, holding fast to the words of life. We have to continue. And so when I say that it's shared, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the strength 
And yet we have to still put our effort. And so sanctification is a cooperation between your will and God's. We, we have to put effort. No, it's spirit-empowered effort, yes, but effort nonetheless to kill our sin and to continue holding fast to the words of life. We fight with what? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. We keep reading the Word. We keep studying the Word. We keep journaling. We keep pondering the Word. We keep listening to the Word. We, we continue sharing the Word. We continue obeying the Word and being under its authority, submitting to the Word. So that way our thoughts and our emotions are then conformed to the image of Christ. We grow in our sanctification. Is this hard? Yes, it's hard. You know why? Because we're not in heaven yet. We're not glorified yet. It's hard work. Because there's still sin in your heart that wants to rebel against the love and the glory of King Jesus. There's still sin in your heart that wants to believe the lie. And what is that lie? The lie that sin will satisfy. The lie that if you pursue that sin, that it will bring you joy, that it'll make you happy, that it won't destroy you that it won't enslave you, that it won't destroy everything that you love and hold dear, that you can, that you can enjoy that sin, and it's going to be okay. It's a lie. So we have to fight. It's supposed to be hard. We're in a battle. Like, have you ever read an adventure story where the hero was bored? Ever read one like that? Ever read one? Have you ever read a story that was just inspiring and amazing, and, and the story, really, it was just ordinary, and nothing spectacular happened in the story, and it was just easy? Ever read one of those stories? No, I don't think so. Those don't make it to print. Because those stories aren't real. Those stories don't resonate with our hearts because we know the truth. The reason why seeing or reading about people who overcome is so inspiring because we know that that's true. The reality is that we are in a fierce battle. And let me just tell you this up front. Like, and if you're visiting, just how we roll, like, whatever. Like, if you want to this, if you want to be sanctified, listen, it will cost you. If you think that you can live a life where you focus on your selfishness, your agenda, your self-centeredness, your comfort, your ease, and all about your agenda... And you're going to be sanctified. <laughs> you don't get it. 
Like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. That's not the way it works. By God's design, it's hard. Now, could God just like zap you and just make you holy right now and have no more sinful struggles? Yes. Yes, God could do that. Of course he could. He's God. But he doesn't. And in most cases that I've seen, in my experience and from the Bible, he won't. You think, why? Like, why, why won't God just take away these struggles? And why won't he make me holy right here and right now and not after I'm resurrected? Well, the short answer is because he's God and we just accept his will. But a little bit more thought and, and then we can come to a better answer, which is, would you need faith anymore? Would you need to trust him? No. And if you look back on your life when it was the hardest, isn't that when you were the closest to Jesus? You see, in God's economy, he shapes us through the pain and through the struggle. And it's about Christ's life in us. It's not our attempts to create life. He gives us that life. And some of you think, oh, you're battling with sin. But if you're honest, you're not battling at all. It's like being in a cage match and you're rolled over and they have an arm bar on you and you're tapping out, but you're done. Like, that's it. Like, your ground game wasn't good enough and you're done. You, you, you have not put in the effort, and you say you're battling, but you're not. You're, you, battling means you're enjoying that sin, like you're rolled over by it. If only you were battling it. If only you actually were fighting back and punching back. Trying to get up off the mat and actually fight back. And stop just being laid out, saying, oh, I'm battling. No, you're not. You're on the ground. You're laid out. Time to get up in the power of the Spirit and fight the good fight and not just roll over. Keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. There's this remarkable beautiful tension on God calls and through his spirit we respond it's a shared thing where Jesus opens the eyes of the blind but then it's the blind who do the seeing it's Jesus tells crippled man to get up and walk and the crippled man then gets up and does the walking Jesus calls from the grave Lazarus come forth and there's the dead man that does the walking out of the grave. It's God who makes you content, and then it is you who responds with generosity to give and to tithe. It is God who gives the supernatural love, and then it is you who respond with forgiving those who hurt you. It is God who gives you his grace, and you see his glory, and you get his presence, and then you respond with walking away from whatever it is that is ensnaring you, keeping you far from the presence of God, whether it's pornography or fleeting pleasures or career or whatever it is that would keep you away, that you would idolize and worship more than you enjoy the presence of Jesus. He does the calling. We do the walking. And it is a miracle. 
because none of us on our own would ever want to do that walk. Because it's hard. But Jesus is glorified in that pain. I, I heard from a friend this amazing quote this week about integrity. Integrity is not about living something perfectly, but wrestling with something faithfully. Yeah, it's messy, and you're going to have fails, and sometimes it's depressing. And we're not describing like holy perfection, but we are talking about living with the holy direction with integrity, where we're fighting the good fight. Sanctification is supernatural. It will be, by God's grace, successful. It is shared with us. And last, number four, it is satisfying. It really is satisfying. Verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You hear this? He is languishing in prison. He's suffering in prison. And what he's talking about? Being glad and rejoicing. Facing potential for being killed. Executed. He is rejoicing and he is glad and calls the church to rejoice with him. So even when it's hard... There is rejoicing. You see, with, with believers, it's so amazing. It seems impossible, but it's not because of who God is. We can be sad and still have joy. We can mourn and still have joy. And by the way, mourning, sometimes you know what we mourn is what we've lost, and sometimes we're losing something that is good for us that we need to lose that God is taking away, like cutting out a cancer, that is good for us to lose, and yet there's still a loss. It's mourning what you've lost. And we can mourn and still have joy. We can struggle and still have joy. You can be like Paul, be in prison and still have joy with the presence of Jesus. And so sanctification is satisfying because it is the pursuits of Jesus, and Jesus, he is the one who satisfies in ways that nothing else and that our sin cannot. So may we be a people that are truly satisfied in Christ. And what's the result going to be? We will grow in our sanctification. We will shine like lights in the middle of this crooked generation. May we manifest the glory of Jesus here in Bill County and to the nation.